Hey there, Fat Guy Forum fans. A huge Happy New Year as we enter 2022. And I'm excited that you're still listening to the show. If you'd like to support us, you can do a couple of things. First, if you're an Apple user or you use Spotify, you can rate and review the podcast there to get us in front of more people. Also, you can use the support links in the show notes to purchase products, get a discount for yourself, generate some income for the show, or you can join the Patreon. And there's some cool stuff coming with the Patreon I will be announcing very soon. I know I've said it before, but this time it's really happening. So I'm just excited for all that's to come in this year. Thank you so much for being a part of this adventure. And on to the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Fat Guy Forum. This is your host, Gourmet, and I am happy to have you with us once again as we sit down to talk to another dude. Today with me, I have Adam Harris. And Adam and I have been trying to get this scheduled for a bit, so I'm glad we're finally getting to sit down and talk. Man, how are you doing today? Not too bad. Yeah, and that's definitely my fault. I know I've been pushing this uh, down the road a little bit. So, Hey, no worries at all, man. It's it's happening right now, so we're good to go. And, you know, since we're here, let's get into it, man. Tell us, what qualifies you to be on the Fat Guy Forum? Well, I, I found myself fat at one point in time, and I didn't uh, grow up that way. So you know, I had a pretty healthy life up until I was 18, 20, somewhere in there. And then uh, you know, things kind of propelled through my 20s into my mid-30s. And five years ago, I found myself uh, in a hospital bed at 430 pounds, and basically life had hit a wall. So you know, I was in the hospital for back uh, injuries. But my surgeon basically looked at me when he got done and said, you know, I I fixed the frame. It's time to take the snow off the roof. So uh, definitely snapped, snapped something into me there. And I I stumbled my way around diet uh, for a little while after that and really did just a a DIY, you know, thought for sure smoothies or or things like that would help. And went on really a two year uh, journey of dropping that weight off. So over the course of two years, I ended up cutting off about 220 pounds uh, at the lowest got down from 430 right around to 208 and have built back uh, a little bit of muscle past that and i'm sitting at 230 now so thankfully thankfully not in the fat guy category anymore anymore but uh, very aware of that life so yeah so let's let's get into it man because you don't you didn't wake up in the hospital at 430 and when you (laughs) went in the day before you were 220 you know, yep, that, yep. you know, like you said, you know, a lot of times I've, I have, I've had people on the show who grew up big and I've had people on the show who got bigger, um, in adulthood. Like when you think about it, what do you think brought you to 430 pounds? Well, you know, I'm, I'm glad you, you brought that up because I, there's a weird phenomenon that I don't think people talk about enough. And when you're putting on that weight, you don't necessarily see it. Uh, you're not seeing your, your true self in the mirror and you're not uh, seeing what other people are seeing during that time. So, you know, really a love for food, cooking, uh, and not being responsible with that over the years uh, put me in that spot. But the the big problem was I I didn't see it as it was building. So, Mm. and Which someone out there who's never been 400 pounds is probably not really believing. Right. You You know, like they're probably sitting there and they're like, how is that even possible? Like, was it, when you think about it, like that lack of awareness, which, you know, I think a lot of people can relate to, is it from, was it so gradual or was it just you were, it, there was no impact to your life? Like, why do you think there was that kind of, you know, the blinders on when it came to your size? 
I think it was very gradual up until the last year. And then things really uh, just plummeted out of control. And I, I probably packed on, you know, in the last year before things uh, got caught up, I probably packed on, you know, 50 pounds that year alone. Uh, so it did start to impact my life pretty, pretty heavily. And as my back was having problems, you know, basically, you know, I got down to the point when I was 430 pounds of, you know, not even being able to use a walker to get around. I was pretty much immobilized. And was it through the injury that you became really kind of aware or had you just accepted, you know, were you ever conscious of your, of your size, I guess is what I'm saying. Like, you know, were you, was it, were there ever points where you were like, okay, maybe I should do something about this or was it just, you were living your life? I was just living my life and really the, the light bulb moment uh, that I started to look at things other than you know, the medical impact. Uh, my sister actually visited out here and we were just having a conversation and, and she looked at me and I'll never forget it. She, she said, I'm worried about you. She said, you're, you're blowing up. And nobody had ever said, Hey, you're, you're getting pretty heavy. But the look of concern in her eye kind of, kind of triggered something. She had never said anything like that before. So, you know, I, I owe her a lot for that one. And what was that, you know, in terms of processing that, like, did that, because it, it, it seems like it, that didn't even, you know, it, it had an impact, you know, if I can use my words today, uh, it had an impact, <laughs> but it didn't necessarily spark action. Right. I've, I've always been kind of guilty of, of learning things the hard way and, and, I think a lot of us that end up in, in this situation are probably the same in that regard. And I think, and I think that's something that men and women who are, who have been, uh, you know, significantly overweight do have that sometimes have that common experience of even having thoughts that they need to do something or hearing concern from people and being like, yeah, you know, you're right. I should, but it isn't until something happens, you know, until there is, it's almost like, you see that this is going to have an impact on, you know, your mortality going forward and whether that's life or death or mobility or, you know, impacting your ability to heal from something. Um, Absolutely. And that's, that's really what I thought, uh, you know, when I was in the hospital after surgery, uh, my legs basically didn't uh, function right after surgery for a few days. And, you know, they were uh, preparing to move me to a care center and, you know, I'm 430 pounds looking at going into a, a nursing home, essentially in my thirties. And in my head, I'm, I'm thinking there is no way I'm getting back out of that place. You know, I'm going to, I'm just going to balloon up, have a heart attack there and I'm done. So I really saw, you know, really saw that as, as kind of the end. And, you know, when you're that size, you start thinking of the logistics of it all. Now somebody's got to, now somebody's got to deal with my 430 pound body or, you know, special order a coffin or something like that. And just as if it wasn't enough of burden, you know, already now somebody else has got to deal with this. Oh yeah. And I think that's not something that the average size person thinks about, you know, when even, even just dealing with minor medical issues when you're 400 plus pounds, you know, I, I mean, I was hospitalized and I was around three, 350, 340 and there were major challenges, you know, from, you know, just, just even dealing with dignity issues, you know, because of, depending on the day and who had done the laundry at the hospital meant whether or not I was going to have, you know, have a, whatever they, I, I want to say nightgown, and I know that's not the right word, um, but, you know, having something that could actually close around me, you know, things along those lines, but, you know, all the issues that come into care and facing that prospect of, 
you know, going to somewhere where people are going to have to care for you, you know, is intimidating. And I, I think that makes sense. So what went through your head, you know, in those, you know, during those days where you were facing that and you knew you had to start doing something like what did getting started look like for you? It really, well, the first step was getting out of the hospital. So, you know, that night as I'm, as I'm really thinking things over, you know, I worked with a nurse, I basically forced her to let me out of bed and we started, you know, just practicing moving my legs. And, you know, eventually that night I, I took a few steps and the next day I took a few more enough to get released from, from the hospital. So after that is really when I, I started staggering out around a bit with diet, um, you know, I dropped soda right off the get go. Uh, was doing, you know, fruit smoothies for breakfast or whatever. I, I had not figured out uh, calories at that point. And then uh, a couple months in, I came across uh, a keto subreddit. And I'm looking at pictures on there. And I, I came across a thread that was uh, keto for picky eaters. And my whole life, I've been notoriously picky. There's If it's a vegetable, you know, typically it's not on my plate. So uh, I came across that keto for picky eaters and... Uh, it was exactly what I needed to see. There was this great transformation picture, somebody that went from, you know, 400 pounds down to 200. Uh, and it was basically just a, a list of keto friendly foods and, and kind of things that people were going through. So in that same thread, I found a, a macro calculator and I did the whole survey and, and did that. And I followed those just religiously and, you know, started seeing the results. And that's when things just just really started moving for me. So when you think about what how you were eating before, you know, when you were 430 pounds versus getting into the weight loss mode and actually, you know, going keto, like what were the biggest changes to your diet? The biggest changes were, you know, first off, the amount of food that I was eating. Uh, you know, before I found the diet, I would, uh, you know, have two or three plates of food. So, you know, that was an immediate uh, change. Uh, I did start adding some vegetables, so I, I basically fell in love with uh, cauliflower that I wouldn't have touched, you know, a year before that. And like anyone else that's gone down the, the keto path, I've probably got 25 ways to, to make cauliflower now. Oh, so yeah. that's well, we, we know that, that that the meme that you hit a certain point in your life and cauliflower starts replacing everything is actually true if you're keto. It absolutely is. And yeah, I could still eat cauliflower every day, and that's... That's one of the biggest things that I've helped me, uh, you know, breaking the the food addiction really was at first I made food boring and I did so intentionally. Uh, I didn't care if I ate the same, you know, the same thing three days in a row, if it was the perfect macros and it, it wasn't something I would get exciting about or excited about. But I think that's helpful to, to not necessarily be excited about food. You know, the other the other big thing was just thinking about food, uh, you know when I was tempted to, to have a carb or something that was really out of line, you know, you start to think of things like, okay, I've got, I can eat this food. I can, I can cheat and get 15 minutes of mouth joy. And that 15 minutes of mouth joy that goes away, you know, I'm stuck in this, this fat prison essentially for another three days. So I looked at every, every cheat or every slip up as a three day setback mm -hmm. uh, on keto. No, I think that makes sense. And that's a, that's something I think, regardless of what plan someone's following or what way of eating they're trying to adopt, that mindfulness, especially when you're someone that derives pleasure from food, you know, because like, let's be realistic, like that's, you know, when you're, when you're over 400 pounds, your relationship with food isn't just I'm eating, you know, I like to eat too much, like, it's, 
giving you something, you know, it's fulfilling something, you know, and whether that's physical or emotional or whatever it is for a person, you know, you're using food in a way. And when you have to, you know, breaking yourself of that, I think is, is a big, is a big challenge and something that takes a lot of mindfulness, like being able to think about consequences, because when we're in the moment, it's not about the consequences, you know, making those choices. It's not about thinking about what do I need to deal with? Like how much of my, how much of my time have I invested in doing this work the past week that I'm going to lose because I'm making this, I'm making this one choice. Like starting to really think about that is almost as important as thinking about what you're putting in your plate and how much is on there. I like to, you know, especially with people that are just starting uh, the diet, I like to compare fat to a prison. You know, it's a prison that we put ourselves in. But there's a set path to release. You've got a release date if you just follow the rules. You deviate from that, you're, you're extending your stay in that prison. And that, that kind of helps set the mentality. No, I think that, that I think it's a, it's, a me, it's a metaphor that works, even though it might ruffle some feathers for some people. You know, that it, especially when someone's not willing to admit their, their part in building that prison, you know, there's, there's things, there are other factors that influence it, of course, you know, and every person is biologically different and dealt with different challenges and different emotional challenges. And the foods they're eating have a different impact on their body. But at the end of the day, there is, you know, like you said, like your, your hands are involved with, with building those bricks. Like you're, you're, you're literally involved with, with putting yourself in that place. But it's so, great when you get out, so right. it's, it's worth it. Well, let's get, let, you know, let's, let's keep getting into it. So, like, when you started to see success, what did that look like? You know, it's funny because just as much as I mentioned, you know, I didn't notice the weight coming on, I really didn't notice it coming off. I saw the scale moving, but I didn't see it in the mirror. And it wasn't until, you know, I was 200 pounds down that I really felt like I had accomplished something. Uh, you know, and I took pictures along the way and I start comparing these pictures and, you know, that's when I kind of knew that, uh, Hey, we, we made it, you know? So that's when things kind of blew up a little bit, I did, uh, that interview. Um, so I ended up doing an interview that was supposed to run uh, over in the UK and all of a sudden I'm getting phone calls and texts one morning, the, the AP had picked it up and it was on the front page of Fox news. So that's, that's really when I realized, you know, holy cow, we did something like this is actually something. And, you know, it was really, really strange to pull up uh, the Fox News website and, you know, not even scroll. And there's my shirtless picture. It was it was actually kind of mortifying. But oh no, understood. When you were able to start putting that in perspective, like what were the biggest. What's the best way to phrase this? You know, when you start to think about the changes that that happened along the way, like obviously changing your relationship with food was a big part of it. Um, where, what role did activity play in your journey? It played a pretty good sized role. So I didn't, I didn't introduce, uh, the gym until one year in. So after my major back surgery, uh, I ran one year of just diet, lost hundred pounds there. Uh, a year after my first surgery, I had a, a spinal stimulator implanted in my back to, to help with, uh, remaining pain. And that cut, you know, the pain in my legs about in half. Uh, so after I recovered from that surgery, you know, I started at the gym uh, and I started swimming. I wanted to start really low impact. So I was there at you know, five o'clock every morning swimming laps. 
And then about uh, three months into that, I needed to do something different. So I, I moved on to just guided weights. I don't do, you know, any free weights just to avoid, you know, injuring my back anymore. But I hit the guided weights religiously. And it's, it's interesting because you can take all the weight off with diet alone. But I think at the end of the day, you're going to be happier if you throw some gym in there, uh, especially when you're losing, you know, north of 100 pounds. I think the only way to really curb loose skin is to backfill with with muscle or develop where you can. So I've kind of kind of taken that and just run with it. And for anyone at home listening who might not recognize some terminology, when you say guided weights, you're, are you talking about machines and cables? Correct. Yep, yeah. machines and cables. And. And they're nice because they they just really allow me to isolate you know what I'm working and avoid what I want to avoid. So, and I think if you're someone that's paid attention to gym culture, there was a period a few years ago where people were like, you know, if you're lifting with a machine, you're not doing a workout. Like there was this like heavy push against um, machines and cables and things along those lines. No no real reason why. Um, and I feel like now people have come back around to it. Like, and I think it always has to do with you know, popular people in that space deciding that they're using something or not using something and everyone kind of jumping on a trend. Uh, but you can get a fantastic workout. Like, and obviously yeah. you're, you're, you're living proof that you can get a fantastic workout in. Um, there's a, there's a little bit resources. of a, a bro culture there that, mm -hmm. that insists you have to, you know, throw bars around and lift heavy weights and no, you can do it all on a machine. Oh, 100% man. So a year in, you start working out you know, had, had working out ever been a part of your life beforehand? Like, or was this something that was new to you? Never. I had never walked into a gym to, to work out, uh, or lift weights like that previously. So it was a, it was a complete learning experience. Uh, I went with a friend for uh, probably the first three weeks once I actually got into uh, the weights and just took it from there. I, I think that's another, you know, I, I always say on this show, that's something people listening can relate to. But not every person who ends up at 400 pounds is, ends up at 400 pounds because they were a football player, you know, who kept eating after, after football ended. You know, I've had those people on the show as well. But I think there are plenty of people out there who have never done that sort of physical activity or never built that kind of routine into their life. So when you think about, you know, kind of building that into yours, you know, what would you say to someone out there who's listening who has who is that person who's never stepped into a gym like what kind of advice would you have for them i would say to get over the fear of walking into the gym uh, i think there's a big a big wall that people have put up and they think that you know being overweight and walking into a gym they're going to get you know laughed at or, or looked at and every single person in a gym is there working on something you know everyone started somewhere and it's a at least what i've seen is a super supportive uh culture so the biggest thing is just getting in there and, and nobody's judging you for walking in the door. No, I think that, that that's fantastic advice. And so how did that all kind of, you know, after your first year, you lost a hundred pounds, you started at, you know, kind of building in physical activity with the pool and then with, with lifting um, and continuing, were you continuing on a, on a low carb path at that point? Like, what, yeah. what happened, you know, for the, cause obviously if you lost 220 pounds, there was another 120 to come, you know, yeah. what, so how did that progress? Keto, strict keto. I maintained the diet, did exactly the same thing. You know, to me, if it's not broke, don't fix it. 
the only thing I kept adjusting with diet is, you know, bumping the, the protein macro a little bit and, and changing the, uh, the calorie target, but really just stuck with, you know, stuck with the macros and, and didn't deviate. So, yeah. So what is strict for you when you define strict keto? What does that, what does that mean to you? I treat my body like a, like a science lab. So, you know, I will watch my macros. I track them, uh, pretty religiously and I'm not adverse. If I, if I think I'm, you know, 10 grams on fat short a day, I have no problem with just grabbing a scoop of, of coconut oil and, and having a tablespoon of coconut oil by itself. Uh, but to me, a ton of barbecued food. I, I love uh, barbecue. I love smoked meats. So most of my meal prep, you know, I would you know smoke a brisket, maybe some pork butts, and then you know uh, vacuum seal those out into smaller portions, so that I had all my protein uh, just really lined up and you know match a match a veggie with that. But the second year, I really transitioned to uh, keto and one meal a day. So I I cut out. Uh, breakfast and lunch and really just hit my hit my calories uh, in the evening. The only exception to that is I would uh, occasionally have like a, a coconut oil fat bomb in the morning just to get going. And what was, what do you think were the, cause I, I when you think about the, you know, the one, again, I don't know what's going on with me. I don't know if it's cause it's Friday or what's going on, but um, my words are failing. And everyone listening is used to me saying this during these episodes, so I, maybe it's just a continual thing for me. But the question that I'm trying to ask is, one meal a day can can sound intimidating to people. You know what? What did you? What were the benefits for you? You know, switching to that. I I think it's a really natural transition. You know, once you're really established in keto, at least I find my appetite uh, just drops through the floor when I'm in ketosis. So I don't know if you find the same, but it was pretty easy just to cut out. Uh, you know, I started with cutting out breakfast and then uh, cut out lunch, you know, probably three weeks after that. And it, it really didn't bother me at all. No, that makes sense. And, and I agree with you. Like, I think it's one of those things, like when you see people talking about, they're going to start trying intermittent fasting, but they're not someone that's following a lower, like they're still eating kind of a standard American diet. Cause there are plenty of people, you know, speaking of Reddit, you can go on the Reddit intermittent fasting forums and there are people that are, you know, doing their one meal a day, their one hour eating window, and they're pounding McDonald's and ice cream during that one hour window. Um, and I can't fathom what the hunger must be like, you know, that they have to fight through at different points of the day when you're still living a, a carb based fuel lifestyle. Like when you're using carbs for energy and you're denying your body carbs for 18 hours a day what that must feel like, you know, because I think you're right. Like, I think when you are, you know, especially when you're, when, when you've gotten not just into ketosis, but your body has gotten really fat adapted for energy sources, it's, it's more like slow burning energy. So hunger can drop, you know, hunger hormones start to regulate better. You're not kind of having those driven by the insulin cycle. And I don't think insulin is the devil at all. You know, I, I think there are plenty of people on social media, you know, who are always like, you know, keto people say, that the only thing that matters with weight loss is insulin. And I, I don't believe that, but I do think the impact on hunger is real. You know, you get to a point, you know, and even clients I work with, you know, when they get to a point where I can tell that they're following things pretty strictly and they're, they're, they've got everything in line, it can almost be hard for them to eat the food that they need to be eating every day. Right. Yeah. Sometimes. And I thought, you know, getting into it, looking at a you know 18 to 2000 uh, calorie a day goal, I thought that was going to be hard to, you know, 
hard to maintain. And there were times in the middle of that that it was a struggle to struggle to hit. So, you know, I think it's I think it's important to not go through the floor on calories. I've seen you know plenty of people do it, but there are days where you've, it's a struggle to get them all in. And so, all of this going on, like getting to your 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 lowest weight and then starting to work on building muscle up, was over a few was a few years ago. You know, you're several years into this. Was it? You know, your surgery was that 2017. 2017. So I am I am coming up on five years since the start of this whole thing. And what does your life look like now when it comes to your relationship with food? I'm really in tune with with what I eat. Um, I've worked in some more carbs. Uh, I would say I'm still low carb, probably consume uh, less than 50 grams a day. But I'm just I'm just aware of everything that I eat. I'm still the guy in the grocery store that's you know reading labels on the back of things and, and sometimes putting them back. Uh, I think it's once you've kind of got that built in, I don't know if you lose it. So all in all, my relationship with food is, is just healthier. Uh, I still look as, you know, food is fuel, not fun. And I think that mentality you know, helps a lot. No, I think it does. And I, I and obviously, I think that, you know, like I like to say food is, you know, because this was what was kind of taught to me, the idea that food is fuel that can be enjoyed, but it doesn't always have to be, you know, and, and that doesn't mean that you, you don't like the food or it tastes ho- horrible. But it's about purpose, you know, it's about understanding the purpose of everything that you're putting into your body. And, you know, getting to that place of being mindful around it is is an incredible skill to build, you know, and I think something that's really important for every person that struggles with weight loss, you know, it's getting to that place of, do I know why I'm putting this food in my body? Am I eating it just because I miss this taste and I want to eat this or does it serve a purpose? Right. <clears throat> And, but not every meal ahead, has to be unfair either. Right. That's and that's one of the big things I had to figure out, you know, early on. No, I think and I think that's unique to like the way you told your story, you know, in terms of talking about purposely making your food boring when you were getting started. You know, because I do think there is something about that foodie mentality, you know, that kind of permeates, you know, especially with the proliferation of social media, you know, that is like the pinnacle of everything. Like I want to eat like this person or, you know, this is the, you know, I derive everything from the eating food this way. And when you start to realize that in a lot of ways, like there's a utilitarian aspect to food, like it has a purpose and there's reasons that you're using it. And it doesn't always have to be something that like you're, you're saying, like, isn't a, every meal doesn't need to be an event. You know, every meal doesn't, you know, and learning that and being okay with that, I think is a, is a big deal. When food used to be celebration, when food used to be fun, when food used to be happiness, like being able to realize that food can just be food, you know, is, is a big lesson. But I think in general, you know, in general, nationally, we're just we're on the wrong page when it comes to food. And I never thought that I would be the guy that, you know, walks through the grocery store and, and looks around and, and kind of says, why are why are 80 percent of people in this store overweight? Like, we're doing something wrong cumulatively, not, you know, it, it's systemic. Oh, it is. And I, the fact that you can, you know, it used to be like, I, I, and I, you know, again, this is when I start to like age myself and date myself on this show. But like, I think about when I was a kid, you know, going into a store, it, there were not 200 different candy bars to pick from. There were not, you know, 
over a hundred kinds of soda in the case. Like we just have this pro proliferation of these quote unquote foods that just aren't food at the end of the day. Like they're not things that are bringing any sustenance to your body. They're not serving any purpose, but there's just so many of them and there are bright colored packages and they're pushed and advertised and you know, you got to try the new one. Like I'm a, I'm a, re I, I'm a food addict, but I'm also very much a Reese's cup addict. Like Reese's peanut butter cups were, you know, I like to say like 90% of the weight that I had in my body. And, you know, when I walk in, you know, but back when I was big into Reese's cups, there were Reese's cups and then there were mini ones and, you know, the snack size ones or whatever the hell they want to call them, the ones wrapped in foil. And that was it. And now you walk into a, a you know, a, a general store, like a pharmacy, like a CVS or Rite Aid, something like that. And just Reese's alone, there's like 25 different variations. And it's just like, you can't get bored because there's always going to be something new and you're always going to chase something new. And like, they're just keeping that, you know, culture alive of, of these foods that at the end of the day, just aren't food, you know, and I know there's going to be, you know, there's probably plenty of people listening that are like, you know, there's no good food, there's no bad food. And I, I agree at the end of the day that there's no real bad food. It's just that there are some things that just aren't food. You know, they're, they're created purposely for the, the point of pleasure. They're not, you know, I remember back, I think it was like the 90s where there was this big push to like make a Snickers bar seem like it was like an athletic thing. And I'm like, I, you know, when I look at that now, it's like, I don't really see a huge number of athletes pounding Snickers bars. Yes, if you're you're big on gym culture on the internet, you're going to see plenty of bodybuilders using gummy candies and sour candies and all these kind of things. But isolated, you know, examples like the average the average human being doesn't need to eat, you know, four handfuls of gummy bears before they go into the gym. Like that's just not, you know, something that adds up, at the, you know, when you when you really sit down and look at what it's doing for your body and what it's giving you and you know what you're getting out of it. Like something that I, I do, you know, would like to, you know, kind of get your perspective on, because I think something, you know, knowing that you've, you're, you've taken your carb level up a little bit, you know, not necessarily to, you know, standard American diet levels, but from more keto to, you know, from keto to like low carb, was there any trepidation there when you started to do that? Like the first, you know, the first couple of times that you did bump that up a little bit, like any fear, like, I think that's something I hear from people a lot. No fear, but you know, one thing that I haven't broken myself of, and, and this is always a, a subject of debate, is I weigh myself twice daily. You know, I weigh myself first thing in the morning and then right before I go to bed. And it's not because I'm necessarily worried uh, you know, about the number there, but I want to know the impact of, of my daily activities. So I had a pretty good idea you know, if there was going to be flux that I would see it and, and address it. And, you know, I've been trying to add uh, just muscle weight on, so I expect to see that scale, you know, go up slowly. But uh, I let it, you know, I, you've probably heard of the whole bulk cut thing, you know, you, you add, add weight, cut it back off, and, and you're left with muscle. So I did that over last summer, and I got back up to uh, like 245, and I was a little uncomfortable with that. So, you know, switch back to, to hard keto and that's one of the things that I think is interesting is once you've once you've really done the done the keto journey, it's a tool that you can use. You know, it's not you're not stuck with that uh, as a lifelong decision, but it, you're not going to uh, if you introduce a few carbs, at least in my experience, you're not going to just pack that 200 pounds back on, which I think is a, a big fear with a lot of people. Yeah, and I think that's 
one, I love that, you know, the description of it as a tool, because I think everything we learn along the way are tools. And there, there are things that we need at certain points. I posted about this the other day on, on Instagram. You know, there are times where, you know, strict tracking and strict counting and, and macros are the tool that you need. And then you can move to a different place. But you might find yourself in a spot where, you know, if you loosen the reins too much or whatever direction you take doesn't, you know, whether it's bulking and cutting or just bulking in life in general and you weren't planning to bulk and you decide you need to use that tool again. There's no shame in that. It's you've learned it and you know how to use it, you know, and you're really comfortable using it. And, and I think in some levels, it's like being OK with using what you need when you when you need it. Yeah. And you get I think you get a really good understanding just of your body. Like you said early on, you know, everybody is a little bit different. But once you really figure out what works, that doesn't change. And you can always always go back to it. And I do think that, you know, again, I don't want this to sound like a keto echo chamber. But I think that is something that really comes into focus when you follow a ketogenic diet, because you see the impact of different things on your body more, more succinctly. You know, you start like for me personally, one of the things I really learned was like my body sensitivity to different electrolytes, like the impact it has on the water that my body holds. And that's not something I ever would have dove, dove into if one of the things that was hammered into me when I first started keto was the importance of paying attention to electrolytes. And realizing, you know, kind of going down that rabbit hole, you know, can take you in a whole different direction. But it's, it is about that sense of your sense of self and what works for your body and what doesn't work for your body and use what does work and then be okay with you know, letting go of the things that don't work. You know, were there, were there any things that you tried during this, you know, during your weight loss time that you just realize, like you said, you like to think of your body as an experiment. Like, were there things that you tried that you just realized, okay, that doesn't work for me. That's not a direction I need to go. I think most of those were before uh, keto. Like I said, I tried, you know, the, the healthy smoothies route and that really uh, just wasn't for me. Um, I didn't really, I never tried uh, a weight loss supplement per se. I'm, I'm pretty much religiously against any, any pill that advertises weight loss or you know, coffees, things like that. But uh, I did, somebody gave me uh, ketones that they had just sitting around and I, I tried those, you know, I think one month. And there's always a big, big debate on whether uh, those are effective or not. And I, I'm still not, uh, I haven't picked a side in that one. But I'm, I'm pretty, you know, I think it's easy to over supplement. You know, you can go down, you can go just down the rabbit hole and end up with, you know, 15 different supplements that you're taking daily and all of a sudden you're spending, you know, $500 a month on your, your supplement budget or something right. like that. So it, I think that's easy to, to go overkill on. So my one thing there would be just uh, keep it simple. Oh, for sure. And if you, add, and, and the other thing that, that people don't really think about is, so say they add five supplements and they see some benefit because you added five things at once, there's no way to know what's actually giving you a benefit. So now are you stuck in this place of, you know, how do I figure it out? You know, what is actually helping me? What is not helping me that I'm just throwing money at? You know, and most of the times, like I, I encourage people, if they see a popular supplement or something along those lines that they want to try, look to find it in a, in a more accept, financially accessible form. You know, often you can find things, you know, you do a little digging, you can realize that you don't have to buy the, the flashy packaged, you know, pushing itself on Instagram brand of something. Like if you really want to try something, which I don't even think usually is needed, um, 
you can find a way to, you know, bulksupplements.com is a great website to go to and, and search ingredients of things that you're looking to try. Like you can, you can save yourself a, a crap ton of money. But again, like you said, really the, the only, the biggest supplement that we need, you know, to take care of our health is food, you know, properly fueling the body, giving it what it needs, you know, responding to those variations, I, I think is, is a more important focus. And I agree. Although I am a pre a pre workout junkie, so I, I do I do opt in for the pre workout, and of course, you know, way isolate all those things, but I keep that pretty pretty simple. Well, and I, I think those are things where you can feel a definite impact. Yeah, you know, a pre workout, you know, working out without versus working out with, you can feel a definite impact. You oh, know, damn things nice. like you know the only the, the supplement that you see really has the most studies done on it is creatine. Like, there's some, there's some benefits there. Most other things, it's, you know, I, I always more, they're like, a person says, well, I found this and I heard that this does this. I'm like, I probably can bet that there probably is no research or actual evidence showing you that that happens. It's anecdotal. If you want to try it, great. It's your money. It's not my money. Do what you want to do. But, you know, be realistic in your assessment, you know, like anything, you know, even if you're trying a, di- a, new, a new way of eating, a new diet or a new workout plan, give it time. See if it has an actual impact and then be mindful in assessing it. You know, be mindful of like, am I really seeing a benefit here? Like, what am I actually getting from this thing that I'm trying? And I think, yeah, just understanding the understanding the effects. And you mentioned creatine and, you know, that's one to be observant on, especially if you're really watching the scale, because that's going to make your body, you know, retain some more water. And it's not a bad thing. You just need to be aware of it and realize that it's water. You're not packing fat back on. So. And, and that's. Yeah, I had that experience the first time that I tried creatine. I think after two days, I put on like six pounds. And I'm like, yeah, what is going on? And I'm like, oh, that's just the way, you know, that's freaked you out, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. Like, and so now when people are like, I'm thinking of trying this, I'm like, well, be aware, you're probably going to see a scale bump, you know, when it's not a bad thing. It's, it's, you know, intramuscular water, like it's your body holding on to things that it needs to use that supplement properly. But yeah, it's going to affect the scale. And I, you know, if your relationship with the scale is in such a place that seeing that little bit of a swing is going to send you into a spiral, I would maybe not try that for a little while. You know, <laughs> I'd stay away from things along those lines. Um, relationship with the scale is an interesting way to put that one. I, I never understand it. You know, there's a lot of people out there that say throw the scale away. And I think you're, you're throwing a valuable tool away if that's the case. No, I agree. Like, you know, I'm very much someone who, I, I think it's about, you know, I do, I do a hundred percent believe that there are people that either become addicted to the scale or are using it in a harmful way, you know, punishing themselves if, you know, not realizing, you know, I, I was listening to, uh, I think it was the latest episode of, um, Mark Bell's power project this morning. And Encima was talking about weighing, you know, he uses the seven day average of his weights. He weighs himself every day, does a seven day average and kind of pays attention to the trend not what actually happens every day because there's so many factors that influence the scale. And I think there's, there's something that's important about realizing that the scale is a big marker for people, you know, especially when you're significantly overweight, the scale matters. You know, if you're 430 pounds and someone says to you, well, don't ever step on a scale. Just, you know, if your clothes fit better, something's happening for that person, that might be something that ends up being maddening or, you know, having a negative impact on them. Like, Learn to put the scale in the place that it belongs. It's a data point, you know, and if you're not able to do that, then that's okay. You can work on that. 
but it really is just a day. It's like everything else in our lives. It's, it's a piece of data. You know, how are, you know, our measurements are just as important, you know, pictures are just as important, like put it all in the right context and, you know, use it the way that you need to use it, but don't let it become something just like a poor relationship with food. Don't let a poor relationship with the scale affect your ability to continue to fuel your body properly, do healthy things for your body. All of, you know, all of that. Like when you start to hear about someone who is so tied to the scale that they're, they're not hydrating their body properly, you know, like they're, well, you know, the past couple of days I cut my water in half because I want to see if that impacts the scale. It's like, well, did, what, how's your body feeling about you cutting your water in half? Like how, how is it, you know, that's great. You can make the scale move, but you can also probably then end up damaging your kidneys. Like think about yeah, what think- you're doing. That data point's a good way to put it. I mean, it's just letting you track track that weight loss. And you know, a lot of people say it's not linear, but when you really track it and stick with a, a certain macro program, it, it really is linear, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a bumpy line, but it still is a trend in in one direction, you know, and that's where you want to head. Um, was it is it this perspective, you know, uh, you know, on the scale and on on your nutrition and all of that, is that what allowed you, you know, cause I think one of the challenges that happens a lot with people that have gone through a massive weight loss who then are trying to bulk or trying to put muscle on, you know, there can be a psychological side to that. Like now you've gone from hoping the scale is going to go down every time you get onto it, but act- now actually trying to see the scale move in an upward direction. Did that mess with your head at all? Or do you think like your perspective was able to allow you to kind of have an even keel with it? Not really. I mean, it was kind of a natural transition. So I found something really interesting at the gym uh, early on was when I started and th- that I wasn't aware of before. But uh, the endorphin rush that you get after a good workout is better than any painkiller you know I've been on for my back. So I was actually, you know, really chasing that every single gym trip just for that, you know, that release, basically. And you know, when you're chasing the gym one or two times a day, I think you just kind of expect to expect to build that up a little bit. And what, so what is your, you know, what, what is your current status quo? Like, what are your goals right now? What are the things you're working on? You know, I think the big thing is just staying, staying on the same exact track. So, you know, I got, got the news a couple of weeks ago that I'm looking uh, likely at another back surgery this uh, summer, probably in August. So, you know, the plan is really just to keep chipping how I am now up until then. I'll probably look at a, a month of recovery from that, uh, but really not to let that be, you know, a major setback. So it's really kind of just a challenge to, to keep going with the back. I think it's uh, something I'll be chasing uh, probably for the rest of my life. So what helps you be able to kind of keep that in perspective? I think just looking back, you know, and you can probably, you know, attest to this as well. When you look back at where you came from versus, you know, where you are today, it's it's really easy to stay the course. Um, you know, if, if you didn't have uh, the results that you did, it, it probably wouldn't be as easy to to kind of keep in line. So, And what, when you look at your life, you know, bef- you know, 2017 and your life now, what for you are really the major changes that stand out? It is a complete 180. So, you know, 2017 to now, uh, you know, 2018, I ended a a 16 year relationship. So basically just started life completely over, switched careers. um, And, you know, it's it's just an absolute difference. Um, So 2020 uh, met the woman that I'm with now and 
it's it's just it's weird the level of happiness that I have uh, compared to where I was in 2017, just in general. No, that's good to hear, man. And so these days, what are what are the things that get you excited? Any more travel. Uh, so I like to, you know, I live in Northwest Iowa. I like to get out of here uh, at least once or twice a year. And traveling is easy now. When you're 400 pounds, getting in an airplane is is not a pleasant experience. So, you know, now I hop in an air, in a hop on an airliner, you know, fasten my safety belt and off we go versus a, a big ordeal. So, you know, really just going to keep forward on that. Uh, went, went to Mexico last year, actually with, uh, uh, bucked up and I'm planning on going back there this summer with them or this fall with them back to Tulum. So those are really the things I have to look forward to. And that kind of keeps me going on the on the fitness journey as well. When you're going to go on vacation with a, a bunch of fitness people, it's it's goals. And so, no, that makes sense. That's awesome, man. And Adam, you know, you you dove into your story today, and you know, I appreciate you being willing to kind of open up and share that with us. Like when you sit down and think about you know the lessons that you've learned on on your journey so far. You know, what are the major ones that stand out to you? That's a tough one. Uh, I think the biggest lesson is that if you can identify a problem, you can, you can change it. And that doesn't necessarily just, you know, involve uh, personal health or eating habits. You know, that comes right down to, to career decisions. And, you know, there's never a time that's too late to look at, at your entire life and say, I want to change this factor. I want to change that. And, you know, really just putting one foot in front of the other and doing it is all it takes. No, I think that's a great, a great perspective on it. And Adam, if anyone listening to the podcast today wants to connect with you, where can they find you? Yeah, Instagram, uh, can do workout. There we go. I'll make sure that I put a link to that in the show notes today. Adam, I wrap up every episode with five questions I call the Fat Guy Five. Are you ready for your run through those questions? Shoot. Okay, so question number one, living or dead, who is your favorite fat guy? Ooh, fat or formerly fat? Either. It can be anything your answer to give Kevin Kevin Smith mm-hmm. I like it not one that I hear a lot so I always appreciate hearing a different answer so it's a good thing um, and he's been on a health journey of his own that's taken him in a lot of different directions so yeah you know that's something good to check out besides all the other you know great fun things that he's done uh, for all of us uh, question number two Adam what is one lesson that being a fat guy taught you Wow, you're hitting me hard today. That's uh, I'm the the Barbara Walters of the of the Fat Guy Podcast world. I would I would say take care of your lower back. If you mm. if you feel a pain in that lower back, don't push it off. I, that's excellent advice because I don't you know as someone who has dealt with back issues, like I don't think people realize the impact you know that that can have. Oh yeah, pushing it off is is the worst thing you can do. Right. Go get it looked at and get it taken care of. There we go. Question number three, Adam, if someone listening to this podcast is that 430-pound guy out there or gal and they want to get their journey started today, what's one concrete thing they do they can do today to start? Google a macro calculator and run your macros. Understand what macros are and you're off and running. There we go. Question number four, Adam, what's one thing about yourself that you love? That I'm still alive. There you go. I like it. And question number five, Adam, last question for you today, man. 
what is one goal you have for the next year that is not health, fitness, or weight loss related? Uh, I would say financial. Um, I try to keep multiple goals, and I think it's important to keep uh, a financial goal. So, you know, I would say uh, I, I shoot for a 10% annual uh, financial increase. There we go, man. Well, Adam, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down and talk to me. It's been great. It was my first podcast. So, hey, there we go. You know, I, I, I find that happens a lot. You know, I, I end up being people's, <laughs> people's first time and then they go on to other shows and do other things. And it's awesome to see this that might happen, just but... be the one for me. I checked the box hey. and I'm, I'm happy that it was uh, with you. So hey, there we go. Well, I, I appreciate that, man. It was it was awesome to be able to talk through and and hear your story. And, you know, I, I think there's a lot there that people will be able to resonate with. So if you want to reach out to Adam, like I said, his Instagram profile will be in the show notes. You can, of course, as always, reach out to me on Instagram as well at Gourmet Goes Keto. You can find me on Twitter at Gourmet Goes Keto. You can email the show at thefatguyforum at gmail.com. And hey, do me a favor. If you're listening on Spotify or Apple or any service that allows you to rate a podcast, give the, give the show a rating and a review. You know, it really helps get us in front of other people's eyes. And that's always my purpose is to get more people hearing the amazing stories that I get to share with you all. And then after you do all that work, my friends, go out there and do something today to amaze yourselves because you're the most amazing people that I know. And then I feel like I'm just giving you homework. Come on back and catch us on the next episode of the Fat Guy Forum. Mm-hmm.